if um, if in Adam and Eve's story, we see their embodied state end with death, the last Adam, Christ, rises from the dead so that we can proclaim that what the garden's goal was will be met by the perfect work of the last Adam. He has come to bring new creation, even in the visible and material sense, up with consummation and redemption. Uh, so the resurrection of Jesus uh, does give us a, an important key to the overall trajectory of the biblical story from the beginning. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. We are sponsored by Logos Bible Software. And today we're doing a book club episode with Mitchell Chase on his new book, Resurrection, Hope, and the Death of Death. And it's in the Short Studies in Biblical Theology series published by our good friends at Crossway. And it's actually edited by Dave Ortland and a familiar name to our show, Miles V. Van Pelt. Um, so we're going to jump into this conversation here in a moment. Please check out some links in our show notes. So if you click our show notes, uh, you'll see the link to Crossway. You can grab this book in the series or uh, just get the whole series for yourself. So uh, it's, a, it's a great series uh, by Crossway, Short Studies in Biblical Theology. There's also a link to find the closest Reformed and confessional churches near your area. If you're looking for a church or looking for a church for somebody else, type in your zip code, see the closest Reformed denominations pop up. There's also information about bridge builders. You heard me speak about Logos Bible Software. Thank you, Logos Bible Software, our main sponsor. There's some of our other bridge builder sponsors. You'll hear some words from them towards the middle of this show. And if you're an individual person, you can also be a bridge builder if you're able and willing. So just hit that Patreon link and see the different options of giving to help our show grow and um, with the needs of bandwidth and editing on the background and all that stuff. Um, so you can help us out. So other than that, uh, you can contact, there's information in the show notes on how to contact us. If you have any questions or anything like that or want some one-on-one -on -one dialogue with Peter or myself. Um, you can find us on social media. Twitter and Instagram is the same, at Guilt Grace Pod. Uh, you can find these episodes on YouTube. So just go to YouTube and type in Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast. Hit subscribe. And you can find all our most of our episodes on there. And then, of course, like everybody, we have an email address. So guiltgracepod at gmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you guys. And we will jump into this episode. Let Peter further introduce Mitchell Chase today. Yeah, we have Dr. Mitchell Chase. He's an associate professor uh, of biblical studies at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the preaching pastor of Cosmosdale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and is the author of several books. And we are very pleased and excited to have you on the show, Dr. Chase. Oh, thank you, guys. I appreciate your podcast, and I'm glad to be a guest today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. So first off, even before our first question, how are things going? I know you have a relatively kind of new position at Southern Baptist and you're still preaching. So how, how, how's that been going? That's true. Thanks for asking. This uh, summer, I did transition to a role uh, at the seminary as an associate professor of biblical studies. I love this school and uh, came in 2010 to do a PhD under Jim Hamilton in uh, the biblical studies major. I know you yep. guys know Dr. Hamilton. Yep, yep. And um, I, uh, yeah, and with his uh, new Psalms commentaries released, I remember yep. uh, you guys had him on. I wanted to uh, work under him, and it was a joy after graduating to be able to stay connected to those schools. And uh, I've been able to teach part-time for them for years as an adjunct, and um, started in 2012 serving in pastoral ministry here in the city yep. at Cosmos Dale Baptist, and I've been there 10 years. So, you know, our life is very full. We've got uh, these joyful things we're able to do with students and with uh, beloved church. And I'm very thankful uh, to be able to have those those uh, opportunities on my plate. So the uh, things are going well, and uh, we love living in the city, doing what the Lord's given us as the task, just trying to be faithful. Awesome. And yeah, so I'll, I'll combine these first two questions that we have on here. Uh, okay. So maybe you've already kind of dipped into this a little bit, but let our audience know a little bit about yourself, some of your background, uh, what mm -hmm. you currently do, uh, what you're teaching, and uh, what got you interested? Obviously, all Christians are interested in resurrection. Uh, <laughs> what, you got, what got you interested in this in this kind of topic specifically from Old New Testament? All right. So a little background then. My uh, my upbringing was in South Texas. Okay. And for the last 12 years, we've been Kentucky citizens. And um, we came here uh, in order to pursue education. Uh, Move from the a, nation a, a of Texas to the nation of the United States. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, after uh, moving here in, in 2010, we weren't sure whether we would remain in Louisville after the doctorate. It all depended on various job opportunities and ministry opportunities. And uh, we were thankful that prior to graduating uh, with the doctorate, I had this opportunity to serve here um, in pastoral ministry at Cosmos Dale Baptist as their preaching pastor. Yeah. Uh, so we have a family of uh, four boys. My wife and I have been married 17 years, and uh, we have a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, or I skipped the 11-year-old, 13, 11, <laughs> 9, and uh, we didn't mean to skip him. It's the middle <laughs> child syndrome. Yeah. I'm telling you. Like, they did not again. <laughs> we could edit that part out. <laughs> Eleven, nine, and five. Um, they they keep things uh, just super energetic in the house from morning to night. You know, yeah. it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. So that's what our life looks like. And for the topic of the book, uh, it does connect to a love of mine that I had in uh, studying with Dr. Hamilton. I wanted to do a PhD on a uh, on a se section of Daniel, Daniel chapter twelve, verse two. Oh yeah. And the uh, focus on the dissertation was that verse, but yeah. branching out in a biblical theological exploration of what really led up to Daniel 12 verse 2 okay. and then how Daniel 12 to influence later scripture that um, really has sustained uh, in an academic level and then at a lay level an interest in resurrection hope I wanted to be able to uh, put something in book format at a lay level uh, which dissertations are not at a lay level and no. I wanted uh, to write on this topic I love uh, well you guys know Miles Van Pelt so the story yep. behind this book is uh, we were at an ETS banquet um, with uh, with a number of different folks that um, were talking about different things. And I remember sitting at a table with Miles Van Pelt. We uh, were talking about things we were working on, and he was asking about my project. 
And uh, I asked him if the short studies in biblical theology series had a volume on resurrection hope in the queue. And so before long, we were talking back and forth about uh, me sending in a proposal and uh, they be able to consider including it. And the rest is history. It was uh, just a, a thrill to be able to, to be a part of a series that I love. And I so appreciate uh, Miles and, and Dane Ortland. Um, they've been uh, supporters of this project from the beginning. So, yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Praise God. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the resurrection, obviously foundational yeah, to the Christian pretty faith. big topic. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. Yeah. Uh, so we go to Paul in the New Testament, and he's very clear that the resurrection, uh, reading that, you see, hear that, the you know, about the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And rest, really, I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 15, 12, yeah. and 20. So maybe you can, um, if someone's just not familiar with those verses, if, if you want, you can maybe expand on that. But before we dive into the meat of the book, why is the resurrection so foundational for our faith? Do we really need it or we just, can we just have a general uh, teachings of Jesus? I think we want to have a zoomed out sense of where the biblical storyline goes for resurrection to be super meaningful to our faith, because the Lord Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection in the New Testament Gospels. Uh, but the problem of sin and death in the world has been present with us after Genesis 3. And, and I, I think what we want to get a grasp on is the full scope of what redemptive, restorative, new creation work would involve. Mm -hmm. and, and if sin and corruption have not only brought disease and suffering, and, um, and, um, but also death into the world, we want to ask, well, what would a redemptive work of Christ comprehensively with blessing triumphing over curse, what would that involve? And, and I think we would want to say that every um, effect of sin and corruption in the world, which includes death, would be overcome by the power of God. So the, uh, the big answer to, to your question, Nick, is that resurrection hope matters in the ministry of Christ because the effects of sin and suffering in the world have brought death and all of the effects of sin are to be overcome by the power of God. Hmm. Maybe <clears throat> so if I can maybe expand on this is something I had always wondered, uh, even as a Christian, and I'm sure others wonder as well, why couldn't Christ have just lived and then died? And then what need is there of the resurrection? Yeah. In general, because it's, it kind of seems like, yeah, he lived a great, he lived a great life. He had great teachings. He was, he was a great moral teacher. Uh, so, I mean, why even in the first place, why do you need resurrection? And I think this is a really reasonable question for Bible readers. We we might imagine hypothetically, couldn't it have gone this way or that way? Or why not this scenario or that scenario? If Genesis 1 and 2 rightly provides us the template for how to think of creation, God has made a material world, not just invisible realities, but visible realities that he has declared good and that showcase his glory and bring honor to him. And then image bearers, in bodies from Genesis uh, 2, where we are seeing Adam and Eve filled with the breath of life from the beginning as embodied 
creatures. And, um, and therefore, the pattern and design of God's creation is very much a material and bodily um, nature. With, uh, with the coming of Christ, the incarnation confirms once again the needfulness of something bodily and material. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us a cosmic news, this declaration to a fallen world that God is making all things new, starting with the inaugurated creation work of, of Jesus, the new creation work of Jesus. And that includes a bodily hope to restore us to the kind of life we were made for. If, um, if in Adam and Eve's story, we see their embodied state end with death, the last Adam, Christ, rises from the dead so that we can proclaim that what the garden's goal was will be met by the perfect work of the last Adam. He has come to bring new creation, even in the visible and material sense, up with consummation and redemption. Uh, so the resurrection of Jesus uh, does give us a, an important key to the overall trajectory of the biblical story from the beginning. Hmm. And maybe yeah. if I can push, and this is again, I'm, I'm trying to think of those who are either not skeptical of reading the book, but just trying to think, um, of your average Christian, because I know this is something I kind of thought. I'm sure others may have thought this as well. And Paul says, like, if, if the resurrection hadn't happened, if Christ wasn't raised, raised in the grave, our faith is in vain. And mm -hmm. I've been reading on the resurrection a lot because of the interview we're going to have pretty soon mm -hmm. on the on the resurrection. Um, but if the resurrection didn't happen and if Jesus's claims were false, um should we still follow Jesus is like, is his, are, are his claims kind of still like over us? Are there, are his claims still um, authoritative in our life? So basically if the resurrection didn't happen, yeah. like this resurrection hope, if it didn't happen, like, do we have hope? Should we still believe in Jesus? Is Are, are those things that we should still do? Like, I, th I think Christians yeah. think like, Oh, even if, even if the resurrection didn't happen, these, these teachings are still beneficial. They're still yeah. moral. They still help me. I would still believe in Jesus if the resurrection didn't happen. I would say that there's no more compelling reason to follow Jesus uh, in that case than there would be for Aristotle or Socrates or anybody else who has ethical or moral reasoning that they're offering into the world. Uh, we might say, well, maybe Jesus got some things right. And so we would want to pay attention to him. If he has said the kind of things he claimed and with the authority did the works and miracles he performed and rises from the dead with a glorified immortality, well, then we're not dealing with any particular um, normal philosopher or yeah. teacher. We're dealing with someone whose authority and risen state uh, should compel the nations to tremble before him and worship and confess his lordship. Uh, so I, I think Paul's words are logically sound. We'd want to say that as a Christian anyway, yeah. but if we consider his reasoning, why would anybody need to uh, give their life even in martyrdom in first century Rome mm -hmm. if uh, Jesus had not been raised from the dead? It wouldn't, yeah. make, uh, it wouldn't make sense for them to stake everything on somebody that was killed in the same manner that someone on his left and right were, and yeah. that people before him were, and that people yeah. after him were. What makes his cross different is that on the third day he were, he rose. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's proof he's God with the resurrection. That's right. But you come down. I mean, it's it's only God could write this story. It's just it's it's based on his atonement and being resurrected. And not to delay uh, the questions on this on this podcast, but I know this is coming up with more and more. And I 
Uh, I know Peter just touched on this, which was helpful because I was, you know, we're bringing to light what uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians and first Corinthians, especially first Corinthians 12 and 20. Um, just be maybe before Peter asks ask his next question. Um, and I know you partly answered this as well, but what is, what is Paul trying to drive home his message in those verses for us? The, these Corinthians are part of a larger Greco-Roman culture that doesn't value a bodily life in the future. Um, it was not a trending idea in the Greco-Roman Empire that uh, you longed for your body to be raised. Yeah. I mean, the body was like a prison. You yeah, they didn't like the body. Exactly. You know, when Paul says and, your bodies will be raised, they're like, wait, what? Like, I don't want my body to be raised. Exactly. Exactly. That was not a longed for thing. You know, it was just kind of weird zombie situation. Like, what are we thinking about with a raised body? You know, that could be horrifying depending on how you describe it. Well, uh, for Paul, he recognizes as a Jew that they have a general hope of resurrection from the dead and that the majority of these Corinthians are not going to be from a primarily Jewish background. And if they're willing to say things like there's no resurrection of the body, then they've not thought this all the way through. The, they need to have a number of uh, factors in their minds um, molded and shaped because as Christians, we realize our growth includes both learning and unlearning some things as disciples. And what they needed to do was to unlearn some assumptions about the body and about what their hope should in include. Uh, they also needed to think theologically about the disastrous road that denying bodily resurrection would take them down. Paul says, look, if, if uh, there's no resurrection of the dead, then, uh, hey, guys, not even Christ has been raised. Well, and no believer in their right mind wants to say that, but I don't think they had worked out the implications of their denial, and uh, or at least what some in the community seem to be questioning. Paul helps them by reasoning theologically out loud and, and gives them uh, the track of logic to go down and realize, uh, hopefully collectively, hey, we don't want to say there's no resurrection then. That would lead to us denying things that are absolutely crucial to our faith. Yeah. Mm. Well, maybe to, to dig in and to, to take a broader scope, obviously the narrow scope of, of Christ and his resurrection, but, but broader. So related to that last question, one thing um, I found fascinating about this work and it's something that i mean i already i believe and I've, I've read through but i think this this book is more concise and it's easier to kind of follow on this but is there intentional reading of the biblical narrative and you focus like you said on the on the resurrection motif or the theme of the resurrection throughout all of the scripture and so somebody may look at this like yeah i get that christ was raised and that makes sense but surely that's like a, that's a new idea in the new testament it doesn't really exist kind of pre-new testament um, but you trace this theme from old new testaments how, how like what what's your kind of mindset coming through the old new testament to, to help us better see resurrection as not new to christ but consummated in christ yeah i love this question because it's helpful for us to see that the empty tomb is the news we proclaim for the risen lord we serve but the resurrection hope is actually older than the empty tomb. Yeah. And in, in order for us to put this together, we have to remember that Christ comes into a world uh, through the incarnation where there have been centuries and centuries of Old Testament stories, prophecies, mm. expectations, types and shadows. Part of the Jewish hope for, for the sound reader of the Old Testament was a confidence of resurrection hope 
for um, for uh, believers and unbelievers, as we see most fully expressed in Daniel 12, yep. and that this would happen at the end of all things. When Christ comes, he inaugurates in history with one with one person himself, the resurrection of the dead. He's the first fruits of resurrection. But the reason he's the first fruits of something is because of an expectation, a harvest of resurrection that had already preceded him prophetically in the Old Testament in, from a human perspective. Uh, of course, he's the eternal son of God. Nothing precedes him in that sense. I simply mean in the, in the bodily life of Christ. Exactly. Um, and, and, and in the Old Testament, you find a, a uh, flowering, a gradual flowering, and especially in the New Testament, of, uh, of what has been organically growing from the Torah forward. And uh, so much of biblical theology works this way, right? You're able to trace something that earlier had certain expressions or some kind of seed form that later on grows and develops and flowers. And it's the acorn versus the full-grown tree uh, image that G.K. Beale uh, is very much known for and, and others along the way. Uh, resurrection hope functions in that way. It is early present in uh, in a more micro and seed way that is much more explicit by the time the Old Testament era is over. And then when Christ comes, well, he's the first fruits of this large hope that believers of scripture should hold. Hmm. That's maybe you want to, we can dig into some of these these details. So what, what are some yeah. examples from the biblical narrative that you can point out to our audience of this resurrection. Yeah. Because like I said, it's some people, I know you get kind of critical scholarship that says, well, it doesn't exist until the new Testament. And it's not explicitly exists until the new Testament. So they're not expecting it. Yeah. You can't find this in the old Testament. This is new. Um, but like you said, there's, there's these examples that kind of, that, that are they're germinated and they grow and grow. So what, what are maybe, what's going to be one that's more obvious of, of kind of resurrection hope and some that may be less obvious of resurrection hope. The way the Bible teaches is both showing and telling. Sometimes you see in the telling part, just a proposition declared, some kind of prophecy. Yeah. Daniel 12 is this way. Isaiah 26 is this way. These are passages where a hope for God's victory over death is proclaimed. Isaiah 25 is this way. God's going to remove the veil of death. And uh, it's it more explicitly than just like kind of not exactly. around the topic, but being like kind of below the surface. Exactly. And, and, I, and I understand that those prophetic passages are later in the Old Testament storyline, but we also have uh, both showing and telling going on. The showing um, is something that I think the New Testament hits on. The uh, life of Abraham is a place that I think is a perfect example of, of uh, the showing part, because Hebrews 11 reads the Abraham story by interpreting, I think, the uh, plurality of the verbs that Abraham uses when yeah. he's going to go on the mountain with his son. I and the boy are going to go up the mountain. We're going to worship and we're going to come back. And um, Abraham was intending to sacrifice his son. Abraham's going to be obedient to the Lord. All of yeah, that. The Lord told him to sacrifice his son. Yeah, exactly right. So when Hebrews is telling us what's going on in Abraham's mind, I think we can see even in Genesis 22's context, Abraham's language is faith oriented. He believes that I and the boy are really going up there and I and the boy are really coming back. But if yeah. he's going to if he's going to sacrifice his son, what he must be convinced of is that God will raise his son from the dead. And uh, of course, in a sense, Abraham um, does receive his son back from the dead. Hebrews 11 says 
figuratively speaking, yeah, he yeah. did receive his son back from the dead. The preacher which, of the Hebrews is not making stuff up. He's not like kind of pulling right. stuff out of the narrative. I think he's rightly interpreting the Old Testament, right? So he's in Genesis 22 reading a story of figurative resurrection. This is one of the ways the Bible shows us the power of God and deliverance from death as a hope. We, we, uh, we understand that Abraham's reasoning is that he hoped and believed that God would raise the dead. That is not unreasonable if you remember what Abraham has already experienced. He and Sarah had been unable to have children for all of those years. And then God takes the dead womb and fills it with life. Mm -hmm. Abraham's own story is an experience of the power of God. The very existence of Isaac argues for the power of life over death. If Abraham uh, is told that Isaac is going to be a vessel of offspring, and there haven't been any offspring through Isaac yet. And then God says, go and sacrifice your son. Well, I, I think connecting in Abraham's mind are both the faithfulness of God to his promises. God, God is going to keep his word. But secondly, God's power. God has displayed power in Abraham's own life. And if God is going to be faithful to his promises, and he has the power to keep his promises, then resurrection hope is actually very reasonable, because mm -hmm. it's a way God demonstrates his steadfast faithfulness, his covenant keeping, and he has power to accomplish everything he sets out to do. So showing and telling, these are ways the Old Testament um, gives us this, not just with explicit statements, but by showing displays of deliverance and hope in narratives like the Abraham story. A resurrection hope advances in ways like this. Hey, all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planets. You heard that right, on the planets. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really, truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step -step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guilt grace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. Hey, this is Peter with a word from one of our sponsors, Westminster Seminary, California, the seminary I graduated from on their upcoming seminary for a day, Friday, October 28th, 2022. If you feel called to serve the church and want to be better equipped, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution that offers master's programs in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. And Westcal is rather unique in its approach to education because it emphasizes mastering the original biblical languages. They're prerequisite for all your courses and you use them predominantly, if not exclusively, in all your courses. It intentionally maintains a small student to professor ratio. You're going to know your professors 
and your fellow students really well. And it focuses on face-to-face education. Church meets face-to-face, shouldn't your seminary as well? And understands the importance of having pastor scholars who have experience in ministry train the next generation of leaders in the church. But don't just take my word for it. Go visit the campus yourself. WestCal is offering seminary for a day, like I said, on October 28th, where you can sit in on classes, meet other students, have lunch with the professor, and see campus housing and amenities in person, where I stayed at myself during my time at Westminster. The visit will also include a special Reformation Day lecture by our repeat guest, the well-known Dr. R. Scott Clark, on his specialty, Why the Reformation Matters for Ministry. And Westcal even offers a $400 travel grant to help cover expenses for the visit so you can see if this might be the next right step for you. Go to www.wscal.edu for more information. We'll also have a link on our show notes if you want to go pop into our show notes to click that link and find this for yourself, as well as our social media channels at Guilt Grace Pod. If you guys want to join others at Seminary for a Day at Westminster Seminary, California. Hey guys, a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Reformation Heritage Books. We've partnered with them and they've partnered with us to try to push a couple of their uh, published books. One of them is the 10 volume series of William Perkins, who a 16th and 17th century reformed writer, wrote commentaries on Galatians, Revelation, uh, wrote The Golden Chain of Salvation, some incredibly influential works in reformed theology. Also, the Family Worship Study Guide, which gives you quick little snippets, about a paragraph each of all 66 books of the Bible, each chapter in those books. So it's really good for family worship. And also they have basically every major publisher uh, in the world. They sell their books at cheaper than Amazon uh, sells them. So if you guys go to heritagebooks.org, drop a line that Guilt, Grace, Gratitude sent you and purchase their books. We'd be grateful and you're supporting a great cause. Yeah, and RHB Books is the largest confessionally reformed publisher in the world, and they publish historical and modern works on a consistent basis. So you can find them on Twitter at RHB underscore books and on Instagram, Reformation Heritage Books. Yep. So go on over there, get these books. There's so much good stuff coming out, and hopefully this is good. Santa Ana Reformed, under the oversight of Reverend Danny Hyde of Oceanside United Reformed Church, is officially beginning Sunday afternoon services at 2 p.m. at Davis Elementary School's multi-purpose room in Santa Ana, California, beginning June 12th. Davis Elementary is at the foot of the downtown Orange County Santa Ana Water Tower off the 5 Freeway, right at the heart of the city, so it's very easy to find. If you'd like more information about joining Email me at santaannareformed at gmail.com, and I can send you a flyer with all this information. Let's spread the gospel to Santa See you there. Yeah, but real quick before next question, one thing I also found fascinating, and it, it dips into this, is you talk about um, the, the phrase, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you want to like come to dip into that, like why, why is that phrase used? And it's used in some of yeah. these contexts that talk about some of this hope. 
It is so it, it's such an important phrase because it's covenantal. Here you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as three patriarchs who had received in continuity from one generation to the next the covenant promises that began with Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. With uh with those names forming a kind of formula. Um, in Exodus and beyond, the people of God would think of themselves as the people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their God was the God of their forefathers. And what their God had promised was not just offspring, but land. And according to Hebrews 11, which rightly interprets the Old Testament, mm -hmm. these patriarchs died before receiving the fullness of these promises, Abraham dies having purchased a burial plot for mm -hmm. Sarah, the cave of Machpelah. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, you know, it's not like he's inherited the land and neither did Isaac and Jacob. Um, and yet God is not a promise breaker. He's made covenants. He has uh, pledged promises that death seems to disrupt. But I think the rabbis were right, as well as the way Jesus uses um, the covenantal formula from Exodus, when uh, we read Matthew 21 and other parallel places in Mark and Luke, the covenantal uh, notions of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it, it it's tied to people who receive promises and experience the power of God that death itself will not ultimately disrupt. How will God keep his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He will raise them from the dead. This covenantal formula and the God of life and the God of covenant um, is tied to this hope beyond the earthly end of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's life. The way Paul interprets this in Romans 4, verse 12 and 13, uh, maybe Romans 4, 13, is um, he says that Abraham is the heir of the world. And, and if, we, if we think about that for a moment, we, uh, we see it quite specific in Genesis 12 that there's going to be a land, sounds quite specific doesn't sound very worldwide. It's going to have various boundaries. And yet I think Paul sees um, what the progressive revelation of the Old Testament gives us. The land is a shadow and a type of a greater glorious uh, creation and inheritance for the people of God. How will that ever be Abraham's? He will be raised from the dead. So resurrection hope grows and matures organically across the Testaments. And Christ is the first fruits of it awesome yeah that's cool that that makes a lot of sense as hebrews 11 you're mentioning a few times is the faith chapter yep and it's so helpful to kind of really let hebrews 11 soak in for for that stuff to remind us in the old testament what it's pointing forward to and that for old, sure. Test old testament people had the same faith we do that's looking right. forward to the resurrection as we look back and know Christ's resurrection, but also looking forward to our resurrection. I know um, as a Christian, obviously believing in the resurrection as a close-handed thing. Like we say, that's a must as a, as a belief, as a Christian, we have to believe in the resurrection at, to call ourselves Christian. Yeah, Sometimes both Baptists and Presbyterians believe in the same thing. That's all, right. Yeah, and, and all <laughs> Christians, it, you cannot, you, it's not an open-handed issue like yeah. other things. This is like the foundational thing. So as a Christian, when I first heard, not only did Christ rise on, on that first Easter, and that's great news, great news, great news, great news for all the things that we explained. But also on top of that, he is our last Adam. And 
and are are the first fruits right and so it's um it blew my mind as a christian to first hear about how we're going to be raised too following sue i was like wait it gets even more <laughs> so i love that um and so going into the my real next question <laughs> sorry i like to riff a little bit and when i when i hear some go on with some stuff so so where was i uh yeah so your chapters if you guys look at the table of contents here you'll see resurrection hope resurrection hope resurrection hope and it's always followed by various parts of scripture and redemptive yeah. history so resurrection hope in fill in the blank <laughs> uh what what allows us to find resurrection hope from gen all the way from generation uh, genesis to revelation so cover to cover in the bible and why is that our hope when i want to approach a a topic scripture is going to address I want to ask questions like, how does the whole of the canon speak to this? Mm -hmm. If I see resurrection in the New Testament, it's helpful for me to ask, where has this come from? What has preceded it? Has it developed from somewhere? And um, and we see that given the covenantal nature of God's um, promises and relationship with his people and the power of God to bring life over the forces of death in the Old Testament, that resurrection hope is rooted as uh, as early as the book of Genesis, uh, because the law, the Torah, is foundational for the remainder of the prophets, the writings, the gospels, and, and forward. It is the um, the uh, foundation for Israel's scriptures, and therefore, for our Christian understanding of the Bible, we have to ask questions like. What does this later belief uh, come from? How did it develop? And uh, what, for what reasons does, um, does resurrection hope arise? If resurrection hope um, exists early in the scriptures, I think it, it must be answering the problem that the word resurrection would specify. There is an implied death that comes to an end, a death that is overcome. For Christians, you're right, Nick, that our hope is gloriously true, that we ourselves will be raised from the dead. And, uh, and so the Bible is giving us this grand epic story of how God is going to bring to pass for his image bearers a total conquest over the forces of death in the world, not only spiritually raised in Christ, but we will be raised from the dead in order to experience what we were made for. We were made for embodied glory and immortality. Uh, the way that we get at this early in the book of Genesis is, um, is even in the garden. We don't leave the garden before we're hearing of something like a tree of life. And then Adam and Eve are barred from eating the tree of life lest they eat and live forever. Well, living forever, that's an immortality. It would be a, a physical immortality implied there. I think this holds out for us the hope that would later be fulfilled by a resurrection from the dead. Here's a hope in Genesis 2 of living physically with uh, other image bearers and before our triune God forever. If resurrection hope becomes a, uh, a, a major theme developing across the Testaments, then, uh, then what we see happening is God giving us, if you will, what the tree of life was always meant to, to bring his people. Mm -hmm. And that is everlasting embodied life for uh, his image bearers and before him, our triune God. Um, uh, and I love, 
I love the cohesiveness that we have then in the biblical storyline with the topic of resurrection. We can see the glimpses and installments of it early on, and we can see the glorious consummation of it when the dead are raised and the sea and Hades give forth their dead in Revelation 20, and um, and death itself is defeated. Uh, we, we see a, a way of understanding the biblical story through the window of the subject of death and resurrection. It, these are two, two ways of, uh, or two, a pair of words that try to get at what's the big story the Bible is telling. That's one way to get at it through these themes of death and resurrection and how it's both hopeful and inaugurated with Christ. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'm to, not sure to, if I answered all of the parts of your question. So no, pardon me if I left something out, but that yeah. was I may have left something out. No, I have a I have a question that I think may help other people sure. ground this uh, as well. And I, some people may be thinking, well, I I I get the the death and resurrection life, but sometimes it does. It's not explicitly like you you talked about. The Bible both shows us and tells us, and it's not explicitly in the text. Maybe like. An example I, I think you use in the book and some uh, maybe helps ground uh, some people's understanding of this is uh, like the Exodus narrative. It's yeah. they're not like they don't die in the Red Sea, but it's kind of presented in this way or it doesn't say yeah. like Israel died and they were raised again after being delivered from the Red Sea. But it, it doesn't like tell us explicitly. Does the text have to tell us explicitly this is a death and resurrection thing that's going to look towards a future hope or is it more? There are some texts that like use the themes of like death and use the themes of life yeah. to point us forward too. I, I, I the my uh, leaning is definitely on the latter part of understanding there because Hebrews eleven to go back to that for a moment seems to give us hermeneutical warrant a an interpretive validation to look for pictures or figures of mm-hmm. resurrection. If Israel, uh, you know, Peter, you just gave the example of the Exodus. This is a perfect example of how God is displaying his power of life over death. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, and Mm -hmm. this was a kind of corporate captivity or death. Mm -hmm. And the Lord has delivered them out of the grave of Egypt, if you will. He's brought them through the Red Sea. And then while they are experiencing the victory of life, he judges and overcomes the Egyptian enemies who pursue. This is a picture. And Israel's exodus um, becomes a kind of template in the Torah and in the prophets and in the writings for what God has been able to do. He's that God of the Red Sea, the God of the exodus. And we can anticipate a defeat of the enemies of God. The last enemy, Paul tells us, is death. Our new exodus is not complete until the cords of death are ripped apart at our resurrection. And then God's redemptive plan for us will have reached its consummation in our glorified bodies. Yeah. So these like figures or events are what kind of fuels Israel's hope. Like we're getting a picture of this deliverance now, but we're looking forward to like the fullest deliverance that's coming in the future, which is our death and then life in like the new heavens, and the new earth. So they're given these, pictures of deliverance that point them to the ultimate deliverance. That's right. It's both showing and telling. And I think the uh, pictures and figures of resurrection are often understated and underappreciated yeah. by interpreters. This is why certain uh, readers of the Old Testament might say something like, yeah, the Old Testament doesn't really have anything to say about the afterlife or yeah. about resurrection from the dead. You really get that in the New Testament. Or if the Old Testament does say it, it's just really, really late. 
Um, I, I hope that my book pushes yep. strongly back against that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, it does. <laughs> I really, I really, uh, especially if Jesus and Paul are affirming resurrection, hope in the Torah, then, uh, we want to side with Jesus and Paul. They oh, yeah. know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yeah, it's, which is why we would strongly, I mean, that's why we have you on this, the show to talk about this, but it's, we want people to read the scripture well with Jesus, with Paul, with the apostles, because they're not pulling rabbits out of hats in the old testament like so often i think we think they are but they're reading the text uh with the grain of the text and seeing that this ultimate flowering of hope like you said this resurrection hope is not a new testament resurrection hope it's an old testament resurrection hope that is finally fulfilled in christ and his resurrection so i think it's it's a helpful corrective uh which leads me to to my last question Mm -hmm. um and so you, as as you're reading, as we're reading through this text, we're reading through kind of different portions of redemptive history as it's pushed forward. Um, you're also kind of helping us read scripture. So it's it's both pointing forward to resurrection hope, but you're also helping us read scripture better with Jesus and the way he he tells us to read scripture and the way we, we see it consummated in his work and his resurrection, his ascension um, as its focus. So how how might we better read and how do you help us read scripture with this in mind and and maybe other things in mind but more specifically resurrection how do you how do you help us how do you guide us through the text to read to read in this way i if i take the examples of jesus and paul that we've just spoken about jesus and paul are some new testament uh speakers with christ being of course the incarnate son and paul being his apostle and yet they are teaching the old testament they are interpreting the Old Testament, and an assumption that I hope is grounded not only in this book, but in other things I try to write and preach, is the conviction that the later authors and later teachers are rightly using earlier texts, and they're not inserting things that weren't there, but they're showing with greater light and clarity what was there all along. And if the Torah is the foundational scriptures of Israel, and um, and I think G.K. Beale is right that the seeds of these major doctrines, including resurrection hope, are present in the early chapters of Genesis. Then uh, what these later authors are doing are rightly unfolding and interpreting the earlier texts. Um, Jim Hamilton had persuaded me many years ago about his own understanding of biblical theology, which yeah. is to in, to adopt the interpretive perspective of the biblical authors and to seek to imitate them. If um, if the authors of the New Testament are reading the uh, the scriptures in in these ways and noticing both showing and telling about resurrection hope, then uh, I want to try to imitate that as a reader. I want to be able to go into the Psalms, for instance, and see David calling out to the Lord for deliverance and then praising the Lord when he was delivered. Even if the New Testament doesn't identify that psalm as an instance of resurrection hope, I think I can take the hermeneutic of the apostles and I can say, here is David experiencing, if you will, a figurative resurrection. I think Hebrews 11's use of Genesis 22 helps us see that we can do that kind of thing. It advances further hope. And of course, the psalms are filled with exclamations of deliverance from some near death experience. Um, and And I also... I also think what connects the two testaments is that uh, that uh, hope that the forces of death are being overcome by the God who is life, not just who who uh, causes life, but who in himself is life and the source of all blessing, goodness, shalom and joy. If uh, if resurrection hope 
um, is uh, derived from the God of life who grants such embodied immortality. I think it is reasonable to assume that it's part of his large plan to bring shalom to his image bearers, joy in fellowship and communion with him. Resurrection hope is how God brings this about. We will actually have greater joy and life with God, not by being disembodied in heaven away from earth forever, but actually by being part of a glorified embodied existence on a new creation mm-hmm. for eternity. These, these are the things that the biblical hope is aiming at. Uh, resurrection hope is such a key uh, to this whole, uh, this whole trajectory. We, we are wise um, and would be blessed to think about it often. I think it stirs our joy and hope. Yeah, so we're allowed to use their interpretive uh, grid in the in the old new testament that's that's a that's, that's a right. thing not only we can do but it's we're actually commanded to do it we're like this is this is how i want you to read the scriptures that i've inspired and it gives we're, you hope as well we're going to use somebody's grid and method yeah. so let it be the <laughs> grid and method that the apostles have given us inspired exactly. by the spirit yeah the, the yeah. one that created life defeats death that's right and and uh it sounds like the resurrection has a lot of already but not yet language christ Mm -hmm. has already been raised and we as believers have not yet but our hope is that we will because we have that to point back to that that concrete evidence that he was raised so our hope is that we will so and and i I, just to add one thought to that nick in in second corinthians four and five paul paul seems to point out that though we are outwardly wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Something has already happened in us. Not only has Christ inaugurated the first fruits of resurrection in a bodily sense, he has also inaugurated resurrection life within us in a spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. We have uh, been raised to life in Christ. Um, Romans 6, uh, 1, to, 1 to 11 teaches this very thing as well. Ephesians chapter 2, we, had, we were dead in our transgressions. And God made us alive. Uh, so there is already a, a resurrection existence that we have begun to taste. And, and yet not in full. Um, Christ has begun a work and he will complete it. And part of the completion of the work he's begun is to faithfully bring it to a glorified embodied state. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, before we conclude, I don't know, Dr. Chase, if there's anything you want to add to this to, to kind of drive home to our audience or something that we left out or just a, a final kind of word of either hope or a word of um, encouragement for our listeners uh, as they read this or as they look at reading this book? When I was growing up, I do, I do remember um, thinking about heaven in ways that would make earth and the things of this life uh, seem more desirable than oh, yeah. thinking of heaven as yeah. like some ethereal or disembodied Angels playing harps uh, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you end up kind of describing or caricaturing uh, life with God in a way that, uh, that seems less than. <laughs> and, exactly. You're like, and, that doesn't sound as fun as earth does. Oh mm. man. And not, not only is that uh, so uh, bad for us to do in our, in our thinking, I think resurrection hope is a very vibrant corrective to this because it directs us to physical glorified immortality and, um, and, and I think it grounds our future in what is the goodness of creation, uh, all things being made new. I, I would want us 
to have a real vibrant hope as believers for what God has promised and that nothing that lies ahead of us is ever less than. It is greater and surpasses. The way Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 4 is that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that surpasses them all. Crucial to that eternal weight of glory is the notion of resurrection, bodily resurrection. If, if, if we believe the words of the scriptures, then we should have a, a thrill, a delight uh, that's associated with what is to come. Uh, not because there aren't things of this life to enjoy, to faithfully steward, to delight in. The Lord is kind to give us um, more blessings than we would ever be able to count or ever deserve. And yet his covenant promises and faithfulness uh, should stir us to long for the completion of what he will, uh, of what he has promised. This is why revelation ends with uh, come Lord Jesus come soon. Um, mm. If we, if we know what is to come and can appreciate the weight of glory foretold, we would long for the coming of the Lord more than we do. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So Dr. Dr. Chase, um, if people are listening to this or reading your book and said, man, I want to, want to find this guy. So where can, where can they find you and, and your work and, and maybe some stuff that you're working on as well? You know, occasionally I'm blogging, but mostly um, I'm active on Twitter at Mitchell Chase, yep. and uh, I would love to to interact with folks there on social media. T- uh, Twitter can be quite a dumpster fire, so <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I I try I try uh, along with many others to uh, engage in social media in ways that are hopefully honoring to the Lord and yeah. uh, pointing people yeah. to good resources. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to uh, to interact with folks there. But I, I've also uh, written a few things on the subjects of typology and allegory yep. on uh, on the gospel itself and uh, a book recently called Hope for All the Earth, which is uh, understanding the story of the Old Testament. Uh, so those are some writings that if uh, folks wanted to connect with there, uh, I pray those would help them too. Awesome. Yeah, well, Dr. Chase, thank you so much for coming on, talking about your book, uh, and really grounding us in, in resurrection hope and uh, pointing backwards to the hope and also for us pointing forwards to our hope as well. So thanks for coming on and, and, and talking to us about your book. Great. Thanks, guys, for the invite. It was a joy to be with you. Yeah, thank you much. Hey, guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you want to do as part of that. We have a goal to get about a thousand dollars a month that's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, this is the number one way, besides word of mouth, that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.